Hey yo, we about to tear it up. Yo, break for break, break for break, get down. This right here is how we do it. Break it down. Welcome to Breaking Atoms, where we break things down to the very last compound. My name is my name, and my name is Chris Mitchell, aka the actual factual, and I am your host for this episode. Today's guest is someone our listeners have wanted us to speak to for a long time. Every week we get tweets, we get texts, we've even got handwritten letters sent to us by pigeons asking us when is this person coming on the show. Way back on episode 64, Rail, a friend of the show, and myself talked about his TSOL album for over an hour like the fanboys we are. Ever since I heard him say, Rabbi said don't trust in cash prizes, same things that float your boat can capsize it, tell the snakes they can take a hike like gas prices, no such things as halfway crooks or half righteous. I was all in. He made his album debut in 2005 with When This Is All Over, followed up with The Old Prince in 2007, dropped TSOL in 2010, Flying Colours in 2013, a short story about a war in 2018, and he's just dropped a new album called Teo. He is an MC, a writer, a poet, a musician, and agree it with a novelistic flair in every sense of the word. And what I love most about his penmanship is how he can detail the simplicities and the complexities of everyday life with striking nuance and understated humour. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, dogs, cats, people with jobs, people without jobs, people who have taken the vaccine and people who haven't taken the vaccine, your body, your choice. This is Shad on Breaking Atoms. Check it out. Wow, what a great intro. Thank you so much for those words, and uh, it's great to be joining you. I speak no lies. Your name comes up so often on this show from our listeners. They're like, can you speak to Shad? And I think sometimes with listeners, they just think, and it, it's, it's, flat, it's flattering in a way that they think you can just go and get people and they'll come on the show. You know, So we recently just did a Blueprint series, and people are like, are you going to get Kanye West? And I'm like... Do you know the kind of access you need to have just to even get to someone who's next to him? Um, but they're like, yeah, yo, speak to Shad, get Shad. And I know that, you know, through the wonders of Twitter, we were able to get to you. Shout out to New Self and also shout out to Superstition. As a fan, I'm very excited to speak to you. You are one of the people whose pens inspire me oh. and also make me think, why do I even bother? Because you are, you are that good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, you brought up New Self, who worked on this latest album, and Superstitious. I've been uh, Superstition. Sorry, I've been a fan of for a long time, and they both they both recommended the pod. So yeah, I'm glad to do it. I'm doing well. It's 2 p.m. here. We're five hours younger than you guys, and yeah, it's a good day. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into it. New album, Tao. Talk about the first song you recorded for the project. And mm-hmm. how do you know that, okay, I'm in album mode now? I'm trying to think of the first song um, that, I, that I did for the project. So I'll, I'll answer the second part of your question first. I know I'm in album mode when I start spending money. That's, that's really my thing. Is uh, I book some studio time and I book a big enough chunk that it hurts a little bit. Because that forces me to get started. You know, 
that really forces me to get started, forces me to gather my ideas in time for those sessions. Or if not, then, okay, now I'm in the hole some money and now I got to, you know, so that's, that's usually one of my tricks for getting started. And then with this album, I had also like a guiding idea at this image in my mind of a circle. If you can just imagine a simple plain circle on a sheet of paper. And then the circle started to break into different pieces. And then those different pieces started to float away from the whole and eventually each of them disintegrating. So that was a picture in my mind that was like a metaphor to me for what is happening to each of us um, in a sense. It seems to me that all the different pieces of the circle, all the different aspects of our lives, all the different aspects of being a human being, work, relationships, relationship to nature, relationship to a sense of the sacred and the transcendent. All these things, if I look at them individually, they all seem to be under threat in our society. You know what I mean? And so that was an image that occurred to me some years ago. And when it came time to record, I was like, okay, I want to write to this concept. This seems like a concept that gives me enough room to talk about a number of different things. But at the same time, it, like, it gives me some kind of parameter, some kind of guiding idea. You know? So it's big, but still with some contours to it. You know? So those two things are how I got started. Now, to the first part of your question, which song was first? Which song was first? Well, Out of Touch was one of the first because when I had that concept in mind or that image in mind, Out of Touch felt like I was, I was writing to create a kind of thesis or theme song for that idea. You know, and Out of Touch was the phrase that occurred to me, like, this is basically what I'm talking about, Out of Touch the pieces of the circle floating away from each other, losing touch with one another, you know? And then that song lyrically goes in a lot of different directions. I'm touching on all sorts of different things. So that was one of, that was definitely one of the first. I knew I wanted to write a song about work. That wasn't the first one, but like that was a song that like conceptually, you know, I had in mind and stuff. Um, but anyhow, I don't want to ramble on too long. Yeah, but so yeah, good. You know, so like, good. like that, that's, that's how I know I'm in album mode is when I start to spend or waste money. And um, that puts some pressure on me. And, yeah. uh, and in the case of this album, you know, that idea was also motivating me and guiding me. I hear you. So you mentioned like you had the concept for the song about work. In terms of your writing process, how does it happen for you? Is it concept first or you hear a beat or like describe that for me? I like to have a mix on an album because I find that in the context of an album, the songs that start with a concept, they become the songs that people tend to remember. You know, they're really clear, right? Like, so those songs become the ones that people can remember. Okay. This song, I, I remember this song when I listen to it, it's about this and, and, and it's sticky from a conceptual standpoint, you know? And then the songs that start with the beat, they tend to be songs that people just enjoy from a musical standpoint, because that's the spirit of it. That's where it started. It started with the music, and I'm just kind of responding to the music. So I like to have a mix of both in an album. I don't know why exactly. Um, I think that's like the albums I grew up on, 
they seem to have a mix of that. Some of the songs are just kind of like fun and loose and musical. And then others are very conceptual. And it's like, at the end of a listen, you're like, I definitely remember that song that was about this. And, you know, but then I like this other moment that was loose and felt very hip hop in that sense, you know? So to answer your question, I have both and I like to do both. Got you. Got you. Um, significance of the title, Teo. Um, I know you've, you've kind of explained it in some of the articles I've read and the interviews you've done, but for the, for the listeners of this show, in layman's terms, break down what that word actually means and how it fits into the concept of this album. As I was saying, the idea for the album, you know, the overarching idea was that image, that metaphor that I was describing before. And so when I was done the music and thinking about what could I name this album, how can I say that in a sentence? You know what I mean? I landed on, on Tao. I say it, Tao. Tao, okay. T-A-O, you know, Tao. I landed on Tao. And the reason I landed on that was because when I thought about it, there was a couple different books that influenced the album. One is called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. So that has Tao in it, T-A-O, The Age Of. And the other one that influenced the album is called The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis. And that also has T-A-O, Tao. And the abolition of man also is kind of what I'm talking about with this circle metaphor, you know, the circle breaking apart and the pieces disappearing. It's kind of like the abolition, the, the disintegration, the disappearance. And then the abolition of man also discusses in it the Tao, which is also written T-A-O, which is a Chinese philosophy of naturalism, you know, the way. So for all of those reasons, I was like, I like that. I like that Tao. T-A-O, the age of, the abolition of. And then also the spiritual connotation with the Tao, you know, because the album to me is ultimately a kind of, it's a spiritual album. You know, it's about humanity. I talk a lot about on the album what it means to be human and wholeness, you know, again, in the image of the circle breaking apart, you know, I'm talking about wholeness. I'm talking about connection. So ultimately, it's a spiritual album. So I like that. I liked it having a spiritual connotation and also referencing these couple of books that both of them written like 80 years apart, both about what it means to be human and, uh, and, and the, the need to respect that and respect the sanctity of that and the dignity, inherent dignity of being a human being. I hear you. I hear you. Wow. So let's get into some of the, um, the album songs. One of my favorites is Slow. And you said, uh, I love the way you say this. You say, he's nice, but he sounds like an old person. All this soul searching and no twerking. And I'm like, yes, Shad is speaking for me. Tell me about your thoughts on ageism in hip hop. And how do you personally stay connected to the culture, especially uh, younger audiences? Yeah, so that's a good example, too, of a song that started with the beat great beat from theory has it you know he's great with these wonky grooves and drum sounds and that style and that theme just came out of it you know and that and it and it related to what i was talking about with the album because as i was saying it's a, it's a pretty big overarching thing so there's room to talk about our connection to the pace of life you know but yeah ageism in hip-hop i think it's it's a very interesting thing because hip-hop is so young that one of the new frontiers actually is 30-year-old rap, 40-year-old rap, 50-year-old rap. 
if you want to think about it a little differently, it's actually one of the most, most exciting things in hip hop because it's new. So, you know, if you look at like Freddie Gibbs, Griselda, Royce and his kind of renaissance in the last several years, even what Kanye is doing for all the, the strangeness that's there, it's like he's talking about being a father and marriage breaking down and losing a parent and trying to connect, you know, spiritually. It's like, these are new frontiers in hip hop. So I try to think about it that way too. Like this is actually one of the mo more exciting things that's happening in hip hop. We've heard 19 year olds rap for a long time now. You know what I mean? And it's still obviously great, but it's like, that's, this is a, this is actually a new thing in hip hop. I try to stay true to myself and what, what I find interesting to hear in rap. So for me, it's a level of experimentation and growth and trying things. I still like that spirit in hip hop of trying new things, of experimenting, of not ever being too tied to conventions. But as anyone who knows, any form will tell you, the more you know the tradition, the more you can actually push the boundaries in a way that's good. So, I've never heard it like that. That's, that's interesting. The people that know the roots are the people that can effectively push the boundaries because you really know what they are and you know how far you can, you know, you know how far you can push them, you know, where they haven't been pushed, where they have been pushed and so on. So, so I find it all to be a cool, creative challenge and there's no shortage of things to say. That's been a pleasant surprise for me too in my own career. I thought, I thought I would definitely run out of things to say at a certain point. I say a lot of things on my album. I rap a lot. <laughs> You know, but I I don't feel like I have at all. There's still, you know, with this album, it's still I still felt very inspired by the things I was seeing and the things um, that are going on. You know, and I still felt like when I looked out at the landscape, um, there was a place for me to to share share what I kind of uniquely have to contribute. You know, I'm not necessarily hearing it uh, the way that I would say it. That's a, that's kind of a long answer to your question, but I yeah I just do think there's room for it in hip hop. There's room for it, and in fact, it's the it, it's one of the exciting places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I appreciate I appreciate the answer, uh, and it makes total sense. And before we go on to the next question, shout out to Theory Has It, one of my favorites. Extra credit album. He's on my wish list of people to work with. Actually, yeah, and I, uh, yeah, makes sense. I should have known it was him. Should have known it was him. Yeah, yeah, that swing, you know, it's just irreplaceable. He's really, really great. And I'm really glad I got one in with him. I've been meaning to for a while, too. Dope. And, uh, so, yeah. On uh, Black Averageness, they want me to be bad, but I won't. They want me to like jazz, but I don't. <laughs> Wish I did too many notes. All right, let's talk. <laughs> I, I was torn because, as you know, jazz music is so important to hip hop music, yeah. you know, especially, you know, I would hear you and most people would assume, you know, you, you're a fan of tribe yeah. and you know that I don't like the term that jazz rap type of influence. Most people would assume, but when you said, I don't like jazz too many notes, I was like, Whoa, I love your openness. But I was like, Whoa, here's the thing. I do like jazz. Okay. I do like jazz. <laughs> and actually there's so many things in that song that are not true to me. But they're true to the larger point that I'm trying to make. Got you. 
they're true to the large point of time. I like jazz. I've actually never skied. You know, I don't wear a do-rag. But like uh, the, the larger point I'm trying to make in the song, you know, I, I, I just wanted to, you know, make sure that I'm serving the concept and the humor. You know what I mean? Um, but I do, I, I do like jazz. I do like jazz. I think it's, it's amazing. I listen to Kamasi Washington a lot around the house. And, I, and like you were saying, Tribe and all that, that introduced me to a lot of jazz music from 70s and, and 60s and stuff. Yeah, it would have been cool, though. If you didn't like jazz for real, I would have been okay with it. But I said to yeah. myself, i got to check in. Because no, no, I was like, no. nah, the way you rap, your yeah. voice even, the, your delivery to me just sounds, you know, part jazz inspired so i just i was like no nah, i got i gotta check this one because this, yeah, this sounds yeah. nuts to me <laughs> yeah 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 no i actually i actually like jazz for sure but it was just too funny of a line and um and too kind of perfectly to the point of the song i couldn't i couldn't turn it down yeah it reminds me of um something mers would have done mm-hmm. mers mm-hmm. did a song called dark skin white girls yes and he was talking about, you know, some of the stereotypes of black and white people. And he, um, he was talking about a black woman who didn't like Jodeci, but grew up listening to Morrissey. And it kind of reminded me of that. But you talk about this concept of like black excellence mm-hmm. and the pressure that can come from it and how it kind of strips us of this right to just exist and be ourselves. Can you unpack that a little bit for me? Talk about how black excellence has, has impacted your life. Well, it's this idea we only exist at these extremes as black people, right? That we're either all the negative stereotypes or we've uh, transcended those and we are Beyonce and Jay-Z and the like, you know? And it's like, no, we are, like everybody else, normal for the most part, you know? And we get to we get to be that. That's how come that's not a category that um, that we see ourselves in. That's not a light that we see ourselves in. So it's like, yeah, it creates this pressure to you know. The only way to transcend those stereotypes is to ex- achieve exceptionally. And it's like, no, no, we get to be normal like everybody else. We get to be average like everybody else. We are normal and average like everybody else for the most part by definition of the word average, you know what I mean? So that's the spirit of that song, you know, and it's, it's like, it's very, it's very comedic, obviously, but the end of each verse, you know, I, I try to hit home the point, you know, I try to say, like the first verse I say, life for us is already often catastrophic. So shout out all my Africans and learn the data process deal with racist bosses stanley at the office come you know, on like, <laughs> come on you're talking to me you're talking you to me, me? <laughs> like stanley at the office you know what i'm saying like we all we all know a stanley at the office we all know a stanley at the office it's like that idea that hey that's okay again our dignity our value as human beings is not contingent upon us achieving exceptionally it's there in the fact of our humanity you know, so that's, mm. um, that's what the song is, is trying to say. And then in, in the second verse, again, when I try to reinforce the point, I kind of also point to the range, you know, because part of being average, part of being normal is being weird in the little quirky ways that human beings are weird and not this monolithic thing that also black people are expected to be, you know? So I say, uh, 
I have every right to be like a B or a C with a do rag on while I ski. You know, I, I just like that image of, yeah, dude, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, because we, also... we, don't, we, we don't really, okay, let me be careful. Yeah. I personally don't yeah. ski. I will never yeah. ski. Yeah. I don't often see people like me skiing. So I'm not going to say we don't ski. Yeah. I'm going to say it's probably one of the things we're not careful. Just the picture of a black man with a do rag skiing exactly. is nuts. Exactly. And I want to see that one day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You get what I'm saying? See, I'm the same way. I don't ski. I'm trying to see that. You know mm. what I mean? I'm trying to see that. I'm trying to see that possibility for us, which to me, again, has to do with averageness because it's like, you know, other people are out there skiing, trying that out, you know, seeing if it's fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? And doing it in whatever they happen to be wearing and, you know, mm. So that's, that's the, that's the spirit of that song, you know? And, and for me, where it relates to the album is, uh, again, connection, connection to our sense that all life is inherently valuable. All human life is inherently sacred. And also it relates to our relationship to our limits because to be a human being is to have limits. It's to not be able to do everything is to be, okay you know is to fail sometimes for some reason in our society it's like we hate that we think that average means inadequate wow so look let's get in touch with the fact that this is this is what it is to be human man it's to be just like everybody else and to make mistakes sometimes and to have a range of interests and to maybe be good at some things and probably be bad at a lot of things. You know, that's what it is. This vague social pressure to be great is just a lie. Yeah. I feel that in my chest. It's something I've been um, thinking on mm. a lot. And when, even before I heard the album and when I heard you talk about it and it was like, yeah, Chris, you know, sometimes I put this pressure on myself that I have to be exceptionally good. Mm. at everything part of my um my upbringing you know as part of the west indian diaspora in the uk mm. we're often told you've got to work twice as hard that's just it. to make it to the same place as other people but in some ways that's become an unhealthy obsession that's for it for me now as, as i'm older it's just like no just do your best that's, that's all it. you literally have to do but no i really i really do appreciate you for being brave enough to tackle that because you're swimming against the current. Cause you know, just even the title black averageness could get people's backs up, but you know, you're shad, you know, you, you ain't never scared. I've got a couple of questions from friend of the show rail. He, he, he was on yeah. episode 64 and I had to reach out to him and say, listen, you helped me with that episode. Do you have any questions for the man named shad? And he's asked, how did the hip hop evolution project come about? That's the first part of the question. And mm. what does it mean to you to be the man tasked with telling hip hop story to mm. a whole new generation. How do you say his name? Rail? Rail. Rail. Shout out Rail. I was saying I got to hear that podcast. That really, um, that really touched me. I really appreciated that. So how did it come about? There's a couple of guys here in Canada that I know. A director named Darby Wheeler, who I know from his time at Much Music, which is our MTV. And also he worked for the CBC, which is our BBC. So I knew him 
he reached out along with another guy, Rodrigo, who ran a magazine in Canada called Pal Magazine that was like our best hip hop magazine, one of the best hip hop magazines I've ever encountered. And they said, hey, listen, we're making this film about the origins of hip hop. We're making it with this company called Banger Films that did the same thing for metal. And uh, we want to do it for hip hop. And as they were talking, it occurred to me that this has to be done now. This was like around 2012, 2013 when I had this meeting. And I was just thinking, you know what? Our pioneers, our legends, our heroes, they aren't around forever. We got to get this done for the culture now. And so um, I said yes, and we made the first season. And then there was a lot of serendipity, we'll say, because we only planned to make that first season. That was the plan. And then Netflix licensed it. And they licensed it at the time where they had a show called The Get Down. That I was remember. Like a, you remember The Get Down, which was like the about based on the origin, like the origins of hip hop. You know, it's set in the Bronx in the 70s, but and it's telling the story of the early days of hip hop, but it's 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 got the Baz Luhrmann, Romeo and Juliet type treatment. It's like expensive and good and great, you know? So I think having that show made them want to license our show. And then once our show was on there, I think ours came about maybe six months to a year before a number of other hip hop docs came about. So all that to say, we were just like a tiny bit ahead of the curve in terms of hip hop documentaries that are kind of like, you know, well-made and, and good. So Netflix was like, do you want to make more? We would like you to make three seasons. We were like, whoa. It was not, that was not on any of our minds. So at least it wasn't on my mind. So then it was like, wow. So now we're really telling the story of hip hop, which felt like a huge responsibility, but also the way I thought about it that helped me deal with the weight of that was I thought of our show as, first of all, it's an overview. So it's not every nook and cranny. It's not comprehensive. You know, this is an overview. I know four seasons sounds like a lot, but it's actually not a lot of time when you're talking about all of hip hop in the 90s and the mid 2000s and the 80s. It's actually not that much time. You know, like Tribe got like five minutes, you know, like. So I thought about it, first of all, to think about it like an overview. And then secondly, to think about it as a celebration, because that's what our show is, too. It's like well-researched, but it's not investigative. You know what I mean? We're not trying to drill down and get some, I don't know what, you know? We are trying to celebrate and give a big picture sense of how the music grew and changed as it went into other local cultures. So that took some weight off and made me go, okay, we can do this. And then my role in it, you know, I, I not to like self-deprecate, but I, I do consider my role in the show to be pretty small. You know, I, I interview the guests, but what I'm really trying to do is get them to share their story. That's what the series is also about, is about the pioneers themselves telling their story. So for me, I saw my role as like, I want to have 
enough knowledge and enough enthusiasm that this guest can come alive in conversation. To tell a story about 20 years ago for any of us is not necessarily easy. Like, you're kind of like, eh, I barely remember. Also, I don't really care. Like, you know, so it takes a partner in conversation who can follow what you're saying because they're, they know their stuff. And secondly, cares, you know, and is, is enthusiastic about hearing the story. So then you start going, Oh, actually, yeah, that was kind of crazy. Oh yeah. Now I'm remembering this that happened and that happened and like, Oh yeah, actually, you know, being 19 was kind of wild, you know, and this happened and the other thing. So, so that's how I approached it. And um, as far as how I think about it now, and me being getting to be the person that spoke to all these folks, it still feels surreal. Even though we did it, we filmed for like six years and it's been a couple years since we've worked on it. It's like, I still feel a little bit like it never happened. Mm. You know, I'll see, I, I see um, on August 11th, I believe is the day that we celebrate the birth of hip hop. And uh, I'll see videos that will float around of me with Cool Herc in front of the building that he used to live in in the Bronx where he threw what's considered the first hip-hop party. And I'm like, wow, that's really me talking to Cool Herc. I, that the place that he started at all. That's so weird that that's a thing that happened in my life. So yeah, I ho- hopefully that's a good answer to his, to yeah. his question. I love the show. I've watched all seasons. There's one episode that really stood out to me and it touched me is when you were talking to Bun B. Mm. I actually feel chills talking about it now. And just to see who someone who I call an elder statesman in hip hop, and I mean this with the most respect, someone who has evolved, not just skill wise, but as a human being and show that kind of vulnerability when talking about Pimp C and he started to cry. I was just like, this is amazing. Not to, it wasn't fun to watch, but it was just like, I'm so thankful I'm in a place where, my heroes can just open up to me yeah. in that way. And they can say, you know what? It's okay. As a black man, I wrote, you know, this is the guy that did the, the Riding Dirty album to say, hey, yeah. this hurts. I think the show did a really good job of humanizing these people. Yeah, thank you. You know, we look at them as superheroes. And, you know, rightfully yeah. so because of their skill level. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's, there's humans, there's fathers, there's mothers, there's uncles, there's brothers. Yeah, 100%. People have brought up that moment. I do think Bun B kind of gave hip hop something with that moment. His, his vulnerability, his tears, his real desire to make sure that Pimp C is remembered and honored. You know, that's kind of what I see in that. And that's how he was that whole day, too. Um, he brought out, although we were in Port Arthur with him, and he brought out everybody that was down with UGK back in the day brought them all out. You know, some of these guys have, you know, may or may not be active anymore, but he was like, it means a lot to me if these guys are remembered too and honored too. And then of course, Pimp C, you know, special, special dude. Yeah. Special dude. What are um, a few of the things you learned during the show that surprised you like wow I, I didn't know that that's interesting 
the things that jump out to me the most are things that I should have known, but didn't fully get. So I'll give you one example. One example was uh, somewhere in the middle of filming in terms of the seasons, I was talking to, I think it was Angie Martinez, who was a host on Hot 97 and everything, talking to her. She's wearing like, I don't know what she's wearing. She's wearing like a Yankee hat and some boots and like a polo and some jeans. And she's talking, she's telling her stories. And it suddenly occurred to me like, oh, hip hop is just New York culture. I don't know why it never occurred to me that simply, like that simply. <laughs> I hear you. You know, but she, she, the way she was talking, everything is like, oh yeah, like there's no other culture that she has or knows. Hip hop is the culture of where she's from and her life. And for some reason, that was the moment where it really clicked. Mm. It was like, it's not just music. It's not just a way of playing records, not just a way of dancing or certain sounds or a certain kind of urban environment. It's New York culture of a certain period in certain parts of New York. That's right. It's the culture. Yeah. And it's that simple. Yeah. I had That's a similar simple. experience when I went to New York about 10 years ago, first time as an adult. So I stayed with my friend who actually lives a few blocks from where you did the interview with Cool Herc. Mm. And one thing that really struck me is just that hip hop is everywhere. You don't even have to hear the music. It's in the atmosphere. Like yeah. even older people, you know, yes. you could see people in their 50s and 60s, just the way they walk and talk. I'm just like, this is, it's hip hop. It's intangible and tangible yes. at the same time. It blew That's my it. mind. That's it just it. blew and my it's, mind. It's everywhere. It's every. It just is the culture of that place. And then that culture landed elsewhere and interacted with other local cultures and, or even just the fact that hip hop is electronic music. You could say the story of hip hop is the story of technology. Change. Wow. Never occurred to me, but mm. that is what it is. It mm. started with turntables and sound systems and drum machines and then, and little sampling machines. And then the sampling machines got better. And so the music got better then the technology got and, and mixtapes, which gave way to mix CDs, which gave way to online. You know, it's the story of technology. I never thought of hip hop as electronic music, but it's just electronic music with a really human element to it. To the point where it can camouflage it. Thinking about it, you can't tell, you can't tell the story of humanity without hip hop. And how we've how we've evolved, it's actually part of the life story now. That's Whether it. you're into That's it or it. not, it is. Wow, it is. I've got one last question before we wrap up. Again, Rail, he says here, you have more basketball references in your bars than pretty much any other rapper. I'm going to interject. I think the only person that may come close to you is Cormega. Yeah, Cormega's up there. He's a sports uh, guy. Fife, rest in peace. Fife, Fife was up there. But yeah, I'm up there too. You're up there. So he's asked, have any NBA players acknowledged their name checks on your tracks? Not that I know of. That's really disappointing. Uh, not that I know of. There's like, uh, on Twitter sometimes, there's like, uh, 
couple of um, like coaches and like college players that I've interacted like, with a couple of times. And that's like very exciting for me. But no, 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 I can't think of any. Oh, man, think. I'm disappointed in them, man. I know. I know. I know. I'm trying to represent out here. You know what I mean? I'm a wrestling guy. Oh, nice. And I do a lot of wrestling references in my music. And not one wrestler has said, I heard you. And it hurts me. Because I'm like, I'm trying to keep your name alive out here. Do you know what I mean? That's it. That's and they're it. just like, uh, eh. I don't like it. Are you talking about like uh, from the past? All over Wrestles? the shop. Past, yeah. present. You know, I've I got some good stuff. Like there's one, I don't know if you remember. I mean, we're the same age. Do you remember the model Rick Martel? Of course. I said a line. I said, um, I never bottle up my arrogance like Rick Martel. <laughs> when, <laughs> I, when I said that, I'm like, I'm the best. I am the best. <laughs> and it's, you know what's funny? It's only like maybe a handful of people come up to me. It's like, yeah, I got it. I'm like, why do I bother? But I know how you feel. Uh, I know oh, how you that, feel. I was about to say, the Rick the Model Martel, I remember when he sprayed Jake the Snake in the eyes. Mm, and they had that match at perfect. WrestleMania. And he, and he, and he that was match blind. was so trash. <laughs> and he was blind from the cologne. Yeah. 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 But and I, I used to play basketball, so I do appreciate a good, um, a good basketball reference. Nice. I do. It makes me, you know, I used to play ball, and then one day I discovered women and food. Yes, and then yes. everything, everything just, yeah. That, that's how it tends to go, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shad, I really appreciate you. And like I said off the mic, you are, you are an MC's MC. You are one Thank of the you. elite. And I know you said on your new album, I'm a man, why do I want to be a goat? But in terms of my circle of friends and people whose musical opinions I respect, you're spoken about in that light. So I just want to say thank you for the inspiration, the continued penmanship, the bars, and just being, just staying in contact with humanity and just feeling like I'm listening to someone who I can just pick up the phone or see on the street, have a conversation with, you know, you stayed very grounded and that comes out in your music. So I I really appreciate you. And on behalf of all of our listeners, man, just thank you for everything. It's my great pleasure. And uh, let's, let's do it again sometime. Love and respect to Shad for coming on the show and make sure you support the new Tao album with your time and your money if possible. I want to say a big thank you to Superstition and New Self for getting the word out to Shad and publicly encouraging him to come on the show. We appreciate you not just for listening, but for co-signing and vouching for us on the timeline. You guys made this happen and we really appreciate you. Special congratulations to New Self. He also landed a beat on the new Shad album. He produced Tao Part 3. So again, go and check that out. I remember a few months ago speaking to New Self and he was like, I really want to produce something for Shad. So it's awesome and it's dope to see that he's actually done it now. Big up to New Self. We are on the socials. You can find us at Break the Atoms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Summit is at Hip Hop Chronicle and I am at I Am Kinetic again on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We'll be back next week with more insight and perspective into hip hop music, culture and politics. Until then, peace. Peace.